Hello, hello, this is Colin. It's time for the news. So this week, we have a special treat for you. Of course, I could conceivably claim that on any given week, and some of the time I would be quite wrong. <laughs> but we are going to focus on Timothy Oliphant today. I'm calling it the Oliphantessence, although several of my uh, panelists have pointed out that Timoth- Timothy Oliphant kind of never goes away. He's like always in something. He's in The Mandalorian. Anyway, he's got two series out right now. I mean, they're not his exactly. One of them is Justified City Primeval. He's even the producer of that, and he's reviving the role of Raylan Givens that he did in the original Justified, also performing with his actual real-life daughter. And Full Circle is more of a Steven Soderbergh jam. Oliphant has a big role in it, but so do a lot of people. Some very complicated international politics and a thriller and a lot of other stuff besides. Here comes the news and then here comes the nose. That is the pensive music that is the theme of the Max series. Max still sounds wrong to say somehow. (laughs) The Max series, full circle, directed by Steven Soderbergh. But that's not really why we're here today. Well, it is why we're here today. But we're here today partly because of one remarkable man, Timothy Oliphant. Uh, We're going to tell you a little bit more about that uh, as the news gets going. Who's on the news today? Elizabeth Kiefer, a professor emerita. Uh, of English at Tungsis Community College, Heldra Mira, multimedia producer at Trinity College, co-host of the So Pretentious podcast with Vivian Nabetta. Sean Murray is a stand-up comedian, writer, and the host of N- the Nobody Asked Sean podcast. It's S-H-A-W-N if you're trying to search it on your searchy thing. Uh, many people have a searchy thing uh, that's, uh, I think, also called their phone. So, um... Yeah, so I was sort of initially kind of positioning this as the Oliphantessence because, uh, or the Oliphantessence, Oliphantessence, because in fact, uh, Timothy Oliphant is appearing, not starring really, in Full Circle, and then definitely starring in Justified City Primeval, a revival, I think uh, 18 years on, uh, from the original Justified series in which he also starred. But Sean, Sean, you, I think, persuasively made the argument that there cannot be uh, an Oliphantessence because Timothy, or Timmy, as you call him, to, as Timmy Oliphant never really goes away. So make that argument for the benefit of our listeners. Well, I mean, Colin, it's been Timmy time on TV <laughs> for, for quite a while. I mean, uh, obviously, we, we talked about him on Daisy Jones and Six. He was on Mandalorian. I mean, he's been on a ton of stuff. And I feel like, um, you know, Justified's been off the air for a few years. And, uh, I think a lot of the stuff that he's done has been like relatively minor roles. I think uh, between Full Circle and this, this is the first time we've seen him back in terms of like uh, like being the the centerpiece in terms of Justified and uh, you know a, a major part of the ensemble in Full Circle. So it, you know he's one of those things like uh, he's like the sun in a way. Like you kind of take it for granted. You know, it's like it's always there. You know, and it's not until like it's a really really hot day where you're like, whoa, like. The sun, or like, or even, or even worse, when it's like a the sun, you know, it's cloudy day. You're like, wow, I wish the sun was out. You know, that's how you felt before Justified came back on. Right, uh, that is I, the most uh, elaborate and beautiful analogy that has ever been made on the nose. Timothy Oliphant as the sun. Um, we will say that you could have seen a lot more Timothy Oliphant because this is something I just found out preparing for the show. 
He was originally offered the part of someone named Dominic Toretto in what was to become the Fast and Furious franchise. And he thought it was stupid and it would bomb at the box office. And he has subsequently made fun of himself many times. He was half right. (laughs) Yes, he was half right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, he thought that it was so stupid that it would bomb at the box office. I think that's sort of the way that he got it wrong, that that really doesn't mean that it would bomb at the box office. But anyways, he would have been in 19 more movies or however many of them there have been. Um, So let's talk a little bit first about Full Circle and then about uh, Justified, City Primeval. And Sean, since you have the floor, this is a kind of a twisty tale. It it really runs on two parallel tracks. One of them is uh, a track involving uh, affluent white people who live in a beautiful apartment, which I think might be in Soho. It looks very Upper West side to me, but I think they're in Soho. doesn't matter where they are. Uh, and that includes characters played by uh, Timothy Oliphant, who you may have heard, heard of. He's just like the sun. Uh, and uh, Claire Danes, who is nothing, nothing like the sun. Uh, and uh, her father is played by Dennis Quaid. He is a very successful food entrepreneur. Uh, and so the second track is Guyanese people, Guyanese, uh, Guyanese diaspora uh, population in New York City, uh, many of whom are either here without documents or, or here with documents but operating large, elaborate criminal enterprises. Um, and these two worlds are going to intersect all the way through this very interesting series. Uh, before we get going on the conversation about it, let's hear a little clip here. There's like a mini mild spoiler. This is a first episode thing. So, I mean, it's not a huge spoiler, but if you really have a problem with spoilers, you should maybe put your fingers in your ears for one minute and nine seconds. Uh, you're going to hear an FBI agent questioning Claire Danes, who plays Sam Brown. Timothy Oliphant uh, is Derek Brown. Uh, and you're going to hear uh, some other detective. And then probably a, like a really important person to know about is Zazie Beetz, who plays uh, Mel Harmony, whose real name is the, un- she has the unfortunate real name of Melody Harmony. That's the character's name. Uh, and they are talking about a kidnapping kind of gone wrong. This is A1 Gene. Uh, this boy, the one they may have mistaken for yours. Any idea who he is? We know his name is Nikki. <laughs> I have a question. Is there a chance this is just a scam? You know, where they try to get money, do they tend to go to these lengths? Lengths meaning? They cut near. I mean, the piece, it would appear. I'm just wondering, you know, if maybe it's not as bad. Can you talk about the person? Are you saying you don't know him? Hmm? You don't know the boy? Well, we didn't see him. We saw an ear only and and part of a cheek. So... Did he have an accent, the guy on the phone? I don't know. What kind? I don't know. Maybe, um, Guyanese? Guyanese? Does that mean something to you, or...? Not really. It's just a... a rather... specific place to... to pull out. Um... Are, are you sure you don't want anything? Coffee? Water? Actually, Sean, I'll rotate back to you. I want to get the rest of the panel involved here. So, uh, Elizabeth Kiefer, this is, uh, in fact, some of the setup of this thing. Uh, these are the affluent people who are kind of un- unaware of what is actually a plot against them that was, and we don't want to give away too much more, but uh, that is meant to, this is all explained in the first episode, redress some kind of cosmic imbalance. I don't know, just in general, how did this series flow for you? Uh, was it able to hold your attention? And did you as some people, I think, do get confused watching this. 
I didn't get confused, but it didn't suck me in immediately the way Justified City Primeval did. Um, I was following the characters pretty well. There wasn't a lot of backstory. And so you had to keep supposing and, and creating a backstory for people to figure out why they were acting so mysteriously. I do have to say over time, over a lot of time, uh, things were uncovered. And so I wasn't confused by the end, but I almost think it was Soderbergh's intention to make you wait to find out why people were behaving this way and what secrets they were holding. Yeah, and I, you know, it's interesting too, Helder, because this series has no real clear nexus. It's really not about the Claire Danes character, although at times it feels as though it's kind of about that. Um, it's not specifically about any of the Guyanese characters, although there are these two uh, young people, uh, Louis and Natalia, brother and sister, who who kind of represent the whole moral center. Soderbergh has said he really regards them as the main characters uh, of the series. Mm -hmm. But this is, uh, Helder, a real ensemble piece, I I think, and you're sort of free to get interested in whoever you want. You kind of choose your own adventure, although not the way you could with another Soderbergh project like Mosaic. But anyway, what was was your overall reaction to it? Uh, It's quite the dark adventure to take one on, for sure. Uh, It's interesting that it's written by at Solomon, who gave us Bill and Ted Face the Music and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Hence, uh, two of my favorite appearances are by Alex Winters. Alex Winter as a, a lawyer for for Timothy's character. And then there's also, uh, um, oh my gosh, Death ends up playing the cop. And I, I can't believe I just blanked on his name. He's one of my favorites in the whole no. series. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, anyway. I find I found it like it, it captivating. It brought me in. I kept wanting to see what was going to happen to each character. Uh, definitely felt much more attached to the t- three Guyanese um, youth that are involved: uh, Natalia, uh, Javier, and Natalia's brother Louis, who bring kind of bring the whole story around. Um, but I did like the, you know, pun intended, full circle. I thought there was this like insane kind of like long. Uh, you know, Return of the King-esque uh, epilogue at, in the final episode uh, that seemed to drag on a bit too much as we were trying to figure out what happens to everyone. But uh, I did find it captivating. I felt there was, a, there was a lot of like weird little MacGuffins that come through that you kind of want to know what happens there, but then they just end up dropping it um, in true like great neo-noir style. But uh, I enjoyed it as much as one can enjoy. It was It was definitely a very like somber piece throughout the whole thing and had some deep moments to it that I liked. Yeah, I mean, I think, Sean, there's a way in which it's very, very interesting in the way that it kind of parcels out culpability. Um, You really, you know, the more that you watch it, the more that you understand what's going on, the more you realize how incredibly morally compromised everybody in this thing is just about, uh, except for those two young Guyanese characters. But, you know, Sean, I might have said something wrong, which is I said it ran on two parallel tracks. Theoretically, we could say three, because there's a third track, and that's law enforcement. Um, Unexpectedly, Jim Gaffigan (laughs) plays uh, a pretty (laughs) serious character, this, uh, you know, horribly corrupt. uh, uh, The other thing is you don't see a lot of law enforcement stuff that's really driven by the postal inspectors. I mean, there just just aren't a lot of kick-ass series like that. But, you know, Sean, 
want I, you can talk about Gaffigan if you want. I'd actually love to hear your thoughts about him. But and I, I don't know whether I'm saying her first name right or not. But I think the most amazing performance in this thing might be from Zazi or Zazi Beats. She plays this uh, character Mel Harmony, who she's a postal inspector. She's in, cr- in incredible amounts of trouble because she has pr- some pretty major untreated psychiatric <laughs> issues. But she also has this kind of Columbo-like ability to just walk into a room and understand all kinds of things that are going on. Uh, and it, and she has this. I I don't know if I've seen this actor before, but she's. She's kind of like if uh, Sandra Bernhardt were black and a crazy police officer. Uh, uh, she has this kind of slightly, you just don't know what she's going to do from moment to moment. When she's on, I can't take my eyes off of her. I, I agree. I think she was uh, tremendous. Uh, I also just didn't, <laughs> I didn't realize uh, postal inspectors had this much latitude and jurisdiction. Like <laughs> They're after you right just now. Doing, They're coming to your yes, door. Like, They're I kick your door down before this episode's over. I didn't know postal inspectors carried guns and had like, they could like have like, um, what was it? Like, they could have like uh, stakeout cars. And, like there was, there was, <laughs> I learned so much from this, uh, <laughs> from this story. But no, she was very, um, she was a wild card in the sense of like, uh, he, he, like she was capable of, you know, kind of figuring out everything. Uh, and also like, it also kind of calls into question, like, you know, why she wasn't, didn't have more, uh, you know, power within the postal inspector, the, the, the totally powerful, all powerful postal inspector office. Um, except for the fact that like, uh, her personal life, uh, is uh, kind of the reason she was in the position that she's in. Um, but yeah, I think she, I think she was tremendous. I love Jim Gaffigan as well, just in the sense that like, uh, I think that's a great role for him. Like that kind of like middle management type of <laughs> guy. Um, like he's just, he, he felt like he was always eating a sandwich. Like he, he felt like he was always like, you know, like in, in cop movies where like every time they come to the, the, the chief's office, he's eating a sandwich. It was like that <laughs> vibe from him. No, like he's like, I got something that. better to do. It's that not just that, but when he gets from, up from eating his sandwich, his napkin and some gnarly little piece of like something that fell off his sandwich is there. He just walks away from his dirty napkin. Yes, he doesn't. He has nothing better to do than to leave that behind. He's like, <laughs> I can't be bothered with this. Yeah, he's re- beneath he's, the station of a postal inspector. Right, he's very gross. But I, I, Sean, while while I'm with you on this, I do think ultimately at the end we are invited to think about something, and I think we're invited to think about the kind of soft power of affluent corruption um, versus the maybe harder power uh, of uh, of sort of, you know, I don't know, state-defined criminal enterprises by people who are far more desperate. And I think we're kind of invited to weigh those two things, too, right? There's sort of a, you know, we start out with, well, there's one group of people who are trying to do a kidnapping, so they're obviously the bad actors here. You know, and as we go along, we are invited to reconsider that, I think, several different times. And to me, that's actually pretty intriguing. I had to think more about this series, Sean, than I typically feel like I have to. I agree. I also feel like it had like a, a similar quality to the wire in the sense of like not only does it like sort of juxtapose those two uh like sides of the the coin as it were, but also like shows how they feed into each other. You know, like it's not these, these things are not happening happening uh separately. Is this like um like uh you know like all the affluent, you know, sort of under the under the radar crime is feeding uh, and fueling the crime that happens. That is like, you know, on the the front page of the New York Post, where like there's murders and kidnappings and stuff like that. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's like the system 
uh, it's a systemic issue as much as it is like an individual's, uh, uh, you know, choices. Yeah, and you know there is a sense, I think, Elizabeth, of the kind of satisfied narcissism of the wealthy white people in the story. Uh, they live a very comfortable life. Uh, they make a lot of money doing not very much, actually. <laughs> if you sort of look at like what the whole multi-million-dollar enterprise is built on, it's not built on very much. Although it turns out that they've made a lot of money a different way that we gradually know about. But but I, I, once again, I sort of feel like. Um, one other thing I just want to quickly say, Elizabeth, and then just you can react any way you want. One of the things that I was struck by is that Guyana, first of all, I think I think Americans didn't know Guyana existed until Jonestown. I think Jonestown was unfortunately the moment at which people thought, oh, there's a place called Guyana and it's not in Africa, it's in South America? Really? No idea about that. Um, and I think to this day, people don't know very much about it. Uh, and, and it really is an example of just the worst aspects of colonialism played out over centuries. And one of the things that becomes clear in this series is that there's a, actually the largest ethnic population in Guyana is what the, I think they're called Indo-Guyanese people. They are in, in people of Indian ethnicity brought over from India uh, as indentured servants, I think by the Dutch during some of the time that they owned this place. But I don't know. Once again, Elizabeth, I think we're sort of invited to think about some things like this that don't get brought up on television that much. Well, first of all, I want to agree with Sean that I had no idea that the U.S. Postal Service, I couldn't figure out their involvement for the longest time. And it's, I think it's only toward the end when they talk about the way that the uh, routing numbers were transferred and that had something to do with the U.S. Postal Service. So that I just want to say that that confused me for a while. I had to actually Google USPIS to know that it was a thing. Um, when it comes to the other thing, I think it's interesting that the colonialists, uh, the, they pillaged so much and took so much away. And the funny thing at the end is something that is taken from the wealthy white people's home ends up discarded. Mm -hmm. And so there's something kind of interesting about that and, and, that, she, and that she relinquished it. Um, feeling some sort of sense of guilt in what uh, the developers had done to the homeland of these people. Yeah, and, and you know, I feel as though some held her some young performers who might not be on our radar that much, did some pretty incredible performing uh, here. Yes. These young Guyanese characters, Adia plays uh, Natalia, Sheyi uh, Cole uh, plays, uh, I have to say it the right way, Javier. Uh, his name is spelled the way we would say Xavier. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I think it was suggested on The Wire that when the X-Men come back, uh, it'll be Professor Javier. Uh, but uh, Javier, uh, who is the person I think most... Unfortunately, it's possible to bend him to some of the more nefarious uh, ends that the, the the kingpins want done, uh, and, and then a guy named a young man named Gerald Jones playing Lewis. But there's, I, I don't know, there's something very heartbreaking about this the Guyanese part of the story, Helder, from the very beginning. The powerlessness of these people, uh, the circumstances. Those yeah. three. Go ahead. Oh yeah. yeah, so specifically those three, like really, I mean, Natalia seems there's that. A really great moment where she's kind of yelling at louis for showing up because he had messed up what she was trying to build for herself and to get out of indentured servitude to uh the guyanese mob kingpin played by cch uh pounder and you know you see that kind that story that is just uh prevalent throughout the united states that we don't talk about that's just under the radar 
um, of people coming here relinquishing their passports to then be kind of indentured servants to other people from <clears throat> who have brought them here that will use them and discard them the way they were doing. I mean, we, there's one that's just like immediately discarded as off the side of the road because of thinking that he might be an informant. Um, but the three actors that that played the that we follow along throughout the series is they're just magnificent. The, the, like, there's so much um, pathos in all of them. And there's a couple of scenes where um, I just like the pain that you hear in Louis's voice, Gerard Jones portrayal of, of Louis when he's just trying to like appeal to uh, Javier for for help is is just heartbreaking. And, mm -hmm. and also seeing Javier wondering where the machinations are going, where he's trying to, is he trying to help Louis and Natalia or is he completely under the sway of Garmin? You know, you kind of hope he's going one way versus the other and just following his path and unknowingly following what he's doing. But then kind of, one of the things I felt about this show is that you do kind of start to see where things are going a little too soon, but you know, whether it's going to happen that way or not, just uh, seeing it unfold is also part of the, the mystique of the show that I enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, but, an awful uh, lot happens in the first episode. I mean, the first, I really recommend to everybody who's even mildly interested in this conversation, watch the first episode, watch it with closed captioning because the Guyanese accents are often rather difficult to, to parse, uh, like it said. And, and also there's a Guyanese slang that's then folded into the, the accents yes. too. So there's a lot of that. And so... Sean, as we're kind of wrapping this up, one thing I would say about this is there's, I think, there's something very literary about this series. I mean, even the title, Full Circle, I mean, this involves these kind of ritualistic circles uh, that are drawn in Washington Square Park in order to facilitate the kind of mystical aspects uh, of a retributionary kidnapping. But there's also a sense of justice coming full circle or, or at least the misdeeds of the past coming full circle. There's also a way in which this is really about two circles, a circle uh, of white people with complex family uh, connections and secrets from one another. And then the Guyanese circle as well. I, again, I feel, and you're the much, they're one of the more voracious readers I know, Sean. I feel like there's something kind of almost bookish and literary about the series. There absolutely is, and I was actually kind of surprised. I mean, I I was aware of the series for a while just because Soderbergh like has a bunch of stuff like he has that deal with Max. So, I, but I thought it was like I was surprised to find that it wasn't. Um, adapted from a novel of some sort because it does like you said have a very uh a literary quality like in terms of like um just how the story wraps up but also like how many like balls are in the air at, at once um actually i like that a lot about it because i feel like you know not to be the one millionth person to decry the sort of like death of the mid-budget uh <laughs> you know film uh in in hollywood but like this is definitely type of the type of like a story that would have been a book that was adapted and became a movie. I, and I feel like TV has also lended itself to be a great space for like adapting um, novels and such, because there's more space to kind of get into the depths of all the characters. Like if you did that in a movie, I mean, you'd have to cut out like Javier and, uh, and Louis would have to be one character. Like there would be so, so much less um, space to flesh it all out. 
Mm. Right. Actually, yeah, I'll just say this for those of you who've watched it, and this won't spoil anything because it's not in there. They actually did cut like a whole. There's a whole plot. So Dennis Quaid, who plays the father of um, of Claire Danes' character, uh, is this kind of celebrated foodie. You know, he's not exactly a chef. I don't think he's like a guy who puts out sauces. But it, it turns out <laughs> that he stole his sauce recipe from like a taco stand somewhere in New York City, uh, and never gave them any of the money, and never gave them any of the. That was that's cut out of the thing, but it's. It's sort of more mm-hmm. of the kind of sense that we feel that, you know, there are exploiters uh, kind of on both sides. All right. It so is alluded to. It is alluded to, yeah. I, I, but yeah. I, I don't know why I heard this, but I, I think there was like a full arc that uh, Soderbergh or Solomon decided just they just couldn't couldn't bear the weight of it uh, with everything else going on there. All right. So we're going to take a break. Uh, we're going to come back. The Olafantissance, if there is such a thing, will continue with, um, with Justified City Primeval. Here we go. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. All right, we're switching elephant projects. Uh, with us today for the news is Elizabeth Kuyper, Helder Mira, and Sean Murray. Um, Justified, City Primeval, uh, resumes the story of U.S. Marshal, or Deputy U.S. Marshal, whatever he is, Raylan Givens. Uh, he is uh, 18 years away from the conclusion of the original series Justified, which was mainly set in Harlan County, Kentucky. Uh, now he's based in Miami, uh, but he and his daughter... Uh, are on a road trip. His daughter, Willa, who is played by Timothy Oliphant's real-life daughter. They're on a road trip. The road trip's interrupted. I'm not going to explain the whole thing. <laughs> it's too damn complicated. But it ends, or, or, or it, it, it culminates or precipitates from the bombing uh, of a judge's car. Uh, and uh, then he's stuck in Detroit, and he has to help with this investigation, We've seen this kind of plot before. Yeah, yeah, I think you should stay here. It's basically what happens to Sidney Poitier in, in, in the heat of the night. No, you stay there, that crummy town. Don't come back to Philadelphia. Solve that murder. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, let's hear a little clip from Justified City Primeval. I don't know if I have to say too much 
Uh, Ingenue uh, Ellis Taylor is Carolyn Wilder. She's a defense attorney based in Detroit. Timothy Oliphant is, of course, Raylan Givens. Uh, and you're going to hear the sort of um, the action villain uh, of the piece, Boyd Holbrook, who plays Clement Mansell. I think sort of the evil, younger, and more full of vitality version of Raylan Givens. Here we go, B1 Gene. You have reason to suspect my client is involved in the murder of Judge Guy. And Rose Doyle, yes. And what is that? Witnesses. He ain't got no witnesses. He's blowing smoke up your ass. Not another word unless I ask you a question. Can I ask him a question? What is it? Was he driving around a Range Rover last night? License number eight. He's not going to answer that. No, go on. I want to hear how you're going to lay the judge out. Not another word. He's dying. He got this idea of what happened to the judge. He just can't get nobody to uh, Cora. What's the word? Corroborate it. Corroborate. Hang around courtrooms and county jails. You learn some words, don't you? Yeah, you learn a few things about lawmen, too. This ought to be good. Only two kinds of guys out in the street chasing bad guys at your age. Ones got passed over for the big chair. And the ones that just love it so much, they're going to have to be dragged off. Only question is, will they be breathing when it happens? So Elizabeth Kiver, I love listening to the audio, just the pure audio of that clip. I talked about it as we were emailing, too. You know, at the end there, it really sounds like two versions of the same person talking. Obviously, Raylan Givens is the hero of Justified, Always and Forever. This guy is about as bad as you can get. He really is a very dangerous person and a very ruthless person and a guy who kills more or less for fun at times. Uh, But there's something about the little back and forth there. Their voices start to sound a little bit the same. There's a two sides of a coin thing, I think. But feel free to shoot down my idea. Okay, well, well, first of all, we had a discussion on email about whether people have seen the previous series or not. And I think this is another case where I didn't conflate them at all because it, clearly to me, the railing character is the good guy and uh, the um, Mansell is clearly the bad guy, but I loved them both. And I found them both sexy and interesting and... Um, just visually so much fun to watch. But I didn't get so much of that because I didn't know about the dark past of uh, the railing character. And, and now I'm very intrigued to go back and watch the first, is it two series, I think, that's before this, uh, to see... If you mean seasons, way more than that. There's, mean, like, seasons, sorry, there's like six seasons. You're going to be busy for a really long time. Oh, my God, there's six seasons. Anyway, that is, but I'd love to just see more of that because I love this right off the bat, and it reminded me a lot of another series that I also loved right off the bat, which is Poker Face. And even though it's, uh, you know, helmed by a woman, Natasha Leone, I found a lot of things similar in the grittiness of it. I mentioned that the car that Mansell steals looks just like the one she drives around in, although it was a Barracuda versus a Chevelle. Um, but there and the big titles of where they, what town they're in, splayed across the screen. Uh, some of the music choices were very similar, and only almost made me think the same director was involved. But um, absolutely loved it, and was not a Timothy Oliphant fan, unlike Maya Rudolph, um, until this series, in which I just fell in love with him. And I would not have fallen in love with him in the full circle movie where I thought he was very passive and a very sort of a minor character. But in this one, um, the way he moves through the world, I found fascinating. 
Right. So I uh, just a couple of things here. Um, the Papulian through line here is he's kind of a rotten father in both of them. I um, mean. <laughs> <laughs> or a highly flawed father uh, in, in both of them. Uh, the Maya Rudolph references to the series The Good Place, in which Maya Rudolph plays God, basically, but in a judge's robes. And God has a tremendous amount of free time on her hands, and so she binges a lot of television, and she gets kind of obsessed with Timothy Oliphant. And eventually he appears as himself. He's materialized by the artificial intelligence Janet, much to God's delight. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Helder... There's a way in which um, the first, the six season, 78 episode Justified series establishes a highly complex character. Obviously a hero, obviously the good guy, obviously the guy who will do the right thing under almost all circumstances, but also a guy who has a lot of trouble fitting into systems, a guy who, you know, really, you know, it's the old, it's the old cliche, the two-fisted hero who doesn't play by the rules. Well, that's kind of who this guy is. Uh, And they're still playing with that idea, that he's a hero, but not necessarily a hero who's going to get his paperwork done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had to go back and uh, I think I, I said in my emails that one of the things I love to do is just watch that first episode, the pilot episode of the original series, because it just is such a great short film in and of itself, where the first three minutes uh, essentially like establishes what his character is like, where he will go by any way, or he'll do anything, any means to like get his man in, in this case he like kills a guy right in front of everyone at a at lunch and then at the very end of that store of the episode you actually get like why he did that what he was pursuing and much like what's going on with that that two-sided um dichotomy that you're talking about between Raylan and Clement where it's like he in in the first season in the first series will do anything will, will not like uh will just draw when he needs to, as long as it's quote unquote justified. And we'll always find a way to justify that draw uh, down to the very last episode of the season of the series where he wanted to basically finally put down his nemesis and just like throws a gun and wants him to take the gun. And don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody, no spoilers, no spoilers. But anyway, in in this, what we get is uh, he, he seems much more, I think you called it with the lion in winter attitude. He's much more reserved in this one. I'm not getting that same, uh, that same like ready to jump into the fray that he would have in uh, the six seasons. And I think that is because of his trying to be a better father, or at least a father figure to Willa um, who's, you know, an interesting dynamic we've discussed uh, via emails, but it's just a, I know a lot of the old fans have not been crazy about her, but she, she does bring a little extra um, softening to, to Raylan. And then we, there is that one episode where you see that, that switch and we get that old Raylan back as soon as uh Willa is threatened by Clement and even um Carolyn Wilder has that moment of like saying you are you know I understand that is your daughter but like you don't get not everyone gets that opportunity to uh, avenge or she said what studied. she says is we I, we should explain this uh, Helder yeah. and I'm going to go over to you Sean so you, Carolyn you Wilder you, Carolyn Wilder is a black defense attorney uh, and she's often thrust into the role of um of defending some of the more nefarious people in this story, especially this guy, Clement uh, Mansell. Uh, and part of that is because she has gigantic debts that are thrust upon her from another source. Um, but, Sean, I to me, the most exciting thing about this series, possibly, is this rather unusual crackle of sexual excitement between Carolyn Wilder, a black defense attorney, and Raylan, Win- Raylan Givens, who... For the you know six seasons we saw him uh, in Harlan County, Kentucky, 
um, you know, the, he was so, his, I, I guess his, the whole sociological landscape was different there. But she's, I think she's the first woman I've seen who could really kind of match him, go toe-to-toe with him. And, you know, there are some strong women in the original Justified series, but there's a way in which she's a little bit like him, too. She has to do a lot of stuff that isn't necessarily the most savory stuff in the world because that's her job. Yeah, uh, Alex is just great. Yeah. Just from the even the first that that first scene uh, in the um, for, with them together in the uh, I guess I can't call it the pilot since this is the second series, but it's the pilot episode of this series. <laughs> um, when they're in the courtroom and she's sort of antagonizing him and getting him to reveal that he uh, sort of did not uh, treat her client with the utmost respect as is expected of a U.S. marshal. Um, she, she, yeah, she's like, um, there's, there's very few, uh, people who are given the opportunity to, to, to kind of have that, that sort of, uh, that sort of energy that she brings to it. And, um, you know, this guy, I mean, I guess, I guess you wouldn't call Rayla Givens very serious in terms of like, he doesn't take every part of the job serious, but he's very serious in terms of like his, um, his dedication to the job. And, uh, I think, um, she kind of undercuts him in the way that he often you know, serves to undercut everyone around him. That makes it very exciting. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, Sean, I think I said this sort of in the emails, but and, and I actually recently went back and watched quite a bit of the original Justified, so it's kind of fresh in my mind. And and it's not as though Raylan Givens in those six seasons of Justified isn't often kind of made fun of. I mean, he is often made fun of, uh, and, and his out-of-controlness is, is made fun of, and things that he fails to understand are made fun of. But there's something going on here where it feels like people are sort of a beat ahead of him, particularly even conversationally, in a way that I, I don't remember so much. I mean, this villain, you, you heard the exchange between the two of them, and he says that whole thing about the only there's only two kinds of guys who are still out on the street at your age, uh, and kind of takes him down a little peg with that, and, and also has his number. Uh, his real-life daughter, who plays Willa, his fictional daughter, she's often, you know, every bit a match for the kind of Raylan Givens back and forth, the kind of banter. She often has a comeback for something he's got to say. And and as you're suggesting, Sean, I feel as, feel as though this character of Carolyn also, it, it's not like she doesn't know what to say to him. And this, I think at one point she says something like, yeah, you know what my job is and I know what your job is, too. Uh, it, it's there's a sort of sense of knowingness about her. He's he's not ahead of her in any way, Sean. Right. And I think uh, that kind of lends itself to the sort of uh, lion in winter sort of thing we were talking about. And just like the sense that, I mean, he's an older he like, you know, he's not uh, he's not as sharp as he was in his youth. You know what I mean? He's this. Uh, you know, people have kind of caught up to him and like his shtick has gotten old, even for people who are like newer to his life. You know, he's like, it's, he's, uh, he's not the fastest gun in the, in the West as it were anymore. And, um, especially with, like, with a daughter, like, I mean, you could be the, the most clever person on earth. Your daughter is just going to like get the best of you no matter what. You just can't keep up. You know what I mean? Right. And I think that's played very well. You know, um, Elizabeth, we should say a little bit more about the cast. I think this is also has a remarkable cast. It has people who work a lot. Both of these series, Full Circle and Justified City Primeval, they have people who've just done a lot of work in a lot of places. Full Circle has a few people that you've never seen before. Uh, but uh, yeah, this, I mean, we've talked about Ingenue uh, Ellis. Um, I'm going to mention Adelaide Clemens a little bit in, in my endorsements. She plays a character called Sandy Stanton, who's kind of attached to this horrible villain. Um, Vondi Curtis-Hall, you've seen in a lot of things. Marin Ireland, uh, who is a product 
product of the Hart, Hart School of Music and Acting program here. And, and Elizabeth, both of us noticed, I think in slightly different ways, Norbert Leo Butts. Norbert Leo Butts, who plays this kind of quintessential Detroit cop in this and the kind of Detroit cop who has a Detroit way of doing things because I'm from Detroit. I know the Detroit way because I'm a Detroit guy. Um, and and I don't know, like Norbert Leo Butts, I just mainly have seen him in musicals. I saw him in the original cast of Wicked. Uh, and it's just so interesting to see him in that. But I focus on any actor or actors you want to, Elizabeth. Well, I had to make a cheat sheet for both because there were so many main characters in both series that, in fact, I said Norbit in the first um, segment and I meant and I had my sheet turned the wrong way. But anyway, um, I, I in the beginning, he was extremely irritating. And I said that he sort of uh, was exemplifying the the country, uh, not him, but um, Raylan coming in was kind of like the country guy who comes in and shows the city guys how it's really done. And in the beginning, Norbit was doing things in a way where they were brutal and impulsive and really weren't helping at all. And, you know, sort of Raylan would sort of be resigned about that. Um, but then once it went along a little more, that character became, Norbit character became less brutal and impulsive, it seemed, and a little bit more of a team player. And they don't really say why that happened, if he gained respect for Raylan in the way the quieter, less impulsive way he did things. I have no idea, but he was a real standout to me. And I also love Sweetie, um, the Vondra, Vondi uh, Curtis Hall character who owned the bar. Um, just he's got the most expressive face. And whenever he was on the screen, it was another person you just couldn't take your eyes off of. Absolutely. So, um, Helder, one of the things that Justified has done very well in the past, and we should say this is also based on um, an Elmore Leonard novel, but not an Elmore Le Leonard novel that had Raylan Givens in it, uh, certainly not as the protagonist. Um, but I've always been kind of impressed by the way the writers of this thing take kind of the beats and colors uh, mm -hmm. of El Elmore Leonard's prose and just write new versions of it, write new content for it. And it still kind of feels like Elmore Leonard. I mean, I, there are some speeches that, as we were emailing around uh, this morning, that I singled out and sent to you guys. I couldn't tell you whether they're ripped from the book or they somebody just made them up, and it sounds like Elmore Leonard wrote them. Maybe it's AI. Uh, could be. <laughs> Hope not. And I was also kind of shocked that this doesn't actually carry over any of the original writers from the uh, from the original series. Michael Dinner comes to it after uh, Graham Yost, who produced and uh, and wrote much of uh the original three uh original six episodes uh, six seasons i should say um so it's it's great to see like people adapt to it to elmer leonard and there is something just so great about Len leonard's like fast paced kind of like back and forth that he does that were you know pronounced in in the first season and or series and is clearly going through this series this series as well that i like you said, I, I think it's great the way they've been able to like pick up on that and adapt it. I remember like watching Out of Sight and seeing how Steven Soderbergh pretty much just lifted everything from the novel into it while adapting it, just to bring it back full circle to Soderbergh as well. And, full and circle. Leonard. I, I see what you just yeah. did there with the full circle. So, yeah, Sean, we, Sean, we have to wrap up here, although I think it might be worth just pausing for a moment and talk about talking about. It's interesting because I think the Guyanese and full circle are treated very, very seriously and in a very detailed uh, and nuanced way. In, in this, maybe the weird ethnicity uh, or the at least the exotic ethnicity that is dealt with maybe a little bit less seriously, are Albanian gangsters. Um, mm. Although, Sean, I do feel as though there's a, there's the, the kingpin 
uh, of the gangsters who gives this little speech. He's sitting there in what appears to be like a nursing home that he owns or something like that. And he says, um, of course, that justice is really no justice at all. It is only satisfaction of a mandate for the appearance of order. But order and justice, they're not the same thing. If I wanted to restore order, I could, of course, instruct Skender to cooperate. But I am not interested in order. Justice, however, justice is meted out in accordance with the action it remedies. And in this case, justice requires more than the law is willing or able to provide. I mean, Sean, that's some top-notch writing there, too. I mean, even if the Albanians are a little bit stereotyped here, uh, I thought that was very cool. That's incredible. It's talking about the novelistic qualities of both of these uh, uh, shows. I mean, that sounds like um, like something from Blood Meridian. Like that sounds yeah. like something the uh, was it the Judge in Blood Meridian. Like that's that's incredible. Like yeah. um, it's it's like it almost <laughs> forgives. I don't want to have. I don't want to besmirch the the Albanian people of the world in any way. So mm-hmm. I won't say anything but to say you guys are great, and uh, I'm, I'm sure many of you uh, have great uh, quotes like that up your sleeve <laughs> and uh, I hope to hear more of it. I want to meet some Albanians and yeah, regale we'll, me with we'll, your quotes. Right. We're going to do Albanian quote day very soon on the nose. we got to take a break here so we'll have time <laughs> to make some recommendations when we come back. Hi, I'm Ray Hartman. Season 3 of Where Art Thou is just around the corner. I'll be back on the road meeting incredible Connecticut artists. You'll hear their stories and we'll throw in a few surprises as well. Season 3 of Where Art Thou premieres June 9th on CPTV. For more, visit ctpublic.org WAT. Support provided by the Richard P. Garmany Fund at the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving, the State of Connecticut Office of Film, Television, and Digital Media, and Connecticut Humanities. And we're back. Time to say some thank yous. Cat Pastor's out right now. So we've got the big guy. We've got Gina Matruda in there as our technical producer. Jonathan McPants is always the producer of The Nose. Uh, Our great panel now is going to make some recommendations to you. Sean Murray, why don't you get us going? What are you going to recommend? In honor of these uh, sort of novelistic crime stories that we just talked about, I wanted to recommend a crime novel that uh, from a few years ago by Colson Whitehead, uh, Harlem Shuffle, just uh, very great, uh, uh, like a little light crime novel about uh, a uh, furniture store owner in Harlem in the 1960s who uh, moonlights as a fence uh, for stolen goods. And it just came out with a, a sequel, uh, I think two weeks ago, called Crook Manifesto, which I haven't read yet, but I'm very excited about. So I think it just ties in very well with uh, what we watched uh, for this week. Very nicely woven in there. Very impressive. Elizabeth Kiefer, how about you? What are you going to recommend? Well, I also have a a crime novel, a murder mystery called A Winter Grave by Peter May. And the cool thing is it's set in Scotland in 2051. So it's interesting to see what's still around and what the author has imagined, especially for transportation, but also all of the flooding that has resulted from climate change that has really changed Um, changed the entire world. Um, Also, I want to recommend a restaurant because it's brand new and starting out. It's in Unionville. It's called Taste of Nawab. And it's an Indian restaurant. I've already been there, going there again tonight. And it is fabulous. I'd love to support them. It's on Mill Street in uh, Unionville. 
I know exactly where it is, yes. Uh, and I'm dying to try it as well. That's great. Uh, Helder Mira, how about yourself? Uh, so I have to make up for my last endorsement last time, so uh, which was Secret Vision, and that failed. Um, so I'm going to go with a really great graphic novel that's out, which is marking its 10th anniversary, at least the first volume, which is March, the autobiographical graphic novel by John, Representative John Lewis, as written by John Lewis and uh, Andrew Aiden, Trinity alum, and illustrated by Nate Powell. They're three volumes. They're beautifully um, written and illustrated. Highly recommend. And please do try to pick them up at your local comic book stores because we do need to support those more than Amazon and other big shops. And then uh, the other one I would recommend is uh, the late Darwin Cook. Darwin Cook's adaptations of Richard Stark's uh, Parker novels. He did four um, adaptations, beautifully illustrated, and just to tie in with the whole uh, crime novels that we've been talking about. So highly check, uh, highly recommend all of, all of those books. All right. So you guys have inspired me to make slightly different recommendations. I guess the first one I would say is the original Justified series is available on Hulu. I think it's an it's an FX thing, but FX is sitting inside Hulu. But um, and, you know, it is six seasons, 78 episodes. You can decide to stay with it or not. It has some of the most uh, amazing casting I've seen, just incredible characters. Uh, and if you like, enjoy Margot Martindale, for example, she plays just an unforgettable villain on that. Uh, I would also single out McKelty Williamson, uh, who plays Limehouse Walker. Is that his name, Limehouse? I think it's Walker. Uh, and he's also just tremendous in this. Uh, so... Uh, then there are all kinds of incredible, uh, knotted up, uh, gnarly, complicated, twisting plots. Also, obviously, Walton Goggins. Walton Goggins kind of made his career playing Boyd Crowder uh, in that series. So it's fun, you know? It's, it's fun and it's interesting and it's exciting and it will hold your attention. So I wasn't going to mention crime novels, but since we did, I've already endorsed them before, and I, I, I'm doing an unusual thing. So Adrian McKinty uh, is, uh, I was interested to hear uh, Elizabeth talk about Peter May. He's a pretty famous Scottish detective writer. Uh, Adrian McKinty is um, an amazing North Ireland-born uh, crime fiction writer. Uh, he's now in America, and some of his more recent thrillers have been very American in nature. But his um, his Sean Duffy series uh, takes place in Belfast, and it's environs. And he's a remarkable writer and a kind of just... Just like all the music cues that he mentions and stuff, it, you really have to be on top of your game culturally to just follow all the little jokes he makes and stuff like that. So, and I liked him so much, and I've never done this before. I'm bringing him to Hartford. He's going to come uh, be with me at the Mark Twain House on September 7th, uh, the way things are uh, playing out here. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. I think it's September 7th. But it's... Um, so anyway, I would really recommend his books. Maybe start with book one of either the Sean Duffy or Michael Forsyth uh, series. They're, they're terrific. And then lastly, because I have a little bit of time here, I thought one of the really good performances that was given in, um, in, in Justified City Primeval was by, I think she's an Australian actress, but she, she plays Americans very well. Adelaide Clemens plays this kind of luck, luckless Sandy Stanton who has attached herself to a very violent man. Uh, and is kind of, you know, messed up herself. Although at one point, it realizes at one point, you know, I think she has potential, though. Uh, so she's terrific. Um, there's a series that like eight people have seen called Rectify, uh, which sounds a lot like Justify. It's a very different kind of series. You can buy it, I found out today, on Amazon Prime. Almost everybody I know who's ever watched Rectify feels like it's one of the 20 great series of all time. Uh, now, this is going to require for one season of Rectify a $15 investment from you. But 
if I've intrigued you at all. Um, it's about a man getting out of prison uh, in a small southern town for a crime he didn't commit uh, and trying to adjust to real life there. Anyway, uh, those are enough recommendations. Thanks so much to Elizabeth Kuyper, to Helder Mira, to Sean Murray. And we're going to say goodbye now. Thanks to Gina Amatruda for stepping in, too. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> 